Hey, Southridge Church, thanks for joining today. Welcome to Southridge Online. And whether you are in Canada or around this world, we appreciate you and we are glad that you have joined us today. But I would encourage you to do more than just listen today. Visit our website at southridgefellowship.ca. Find out more about us if you're new or join us in community by joining one of our community groups and engage with us in the mission that God has given us to fulfill by either giving financially or serving or just even following Jesus daily. We are so glad that you're a part of us and we encourage you to step into something that God has for you. So find out more at southridgefellowship.ca and enjoy the message. I don't know if you've ever heard about the entrepreneur roller coaster. It's basically this idea that starting a business can have a lot of ups and downs and it can be a little challenging. And so one of the biggest skills any entrepreneur can have is to be able to have the tenacity or the resilience to withstand all the ups and downs of going through launching a business. And I think, you know, in the last 18 months, we've all kind of gone through a roller coaster of ups and downs in a lot of ways. And the psalm that we're going to look at today in our series on the psalms is going to answer some questions on how do we deal with that? How do we withstand and make it through all the ups and downs of our life? So we're going to be looking at Psalm 30 today. And while you're getting to that uh, with yourself, whether it's on your app or um, in a phys- with a physical Bible, I'm just going to go through a really quick summary recap of what's going on in this psalm. Basically, David, who's the author of the psalm, is talking about uh, how things were bad in his life, and then, or sorry, things were good, things were going well in his life, and then things were bad, and then God made them good again. So pretty simple. Things were good, then they were bad, then God made them good again, and that's it. Now, verse 1 to 5, verses 1 to 5 are his reflections on this, and so we're going to skip that because that's like post-event. So post all those things, after all those things, the good, the bad, the ugly, all those things happen, then he gives his reflections. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. We're going to start in verse 6. In verse 6 to 7 were the original good times. And he says this, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. These are the good times that he's talking about. And then verse seven, second half of verse seven, he goes on to say, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will my dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. So these are the bitter, bad times. God has hid his face. It's it's an expression basically saying things are not good right now. And we don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know what in particular has happened to David at this point in time. But that honestly really isn't that important. And then finally... It comes, he says, you've turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. So things are good again, right? God has has helped him. God has, has saved him. We don't know what happened in particular, but the narrative is that things were okay. Things were good at the beginning. He was confident. God hid his face. Things were bad. And now we're back. God has, has solved the issues that's going on here. God has fixed what is happening. And now things are good again with David. Have you ever heard the expression, uh, just smart enough to be dangerous? I was the embodiment of that when I learned about the stock market. I was so convinced I was going to make millions of dollars. I just found out about this thing that you just invest money and then companies do well. Then you make more money back. And I was like, this is game changing. And so I was trying to convince my mom we're going to put all of our life savings into Fitbit. 
Fitbit was going to be the thing that was going to turn. It was like, mom, it's like this new thing that's coming out and it's like this activity tracker and they're launching an IPO. They're going public. And I was like, you got to jump in really quick because then the stock is just going to go up and it's just going to be up and up and up and up from there. And as you can see from my hand, I'm not wearing a Fitbit anymore. Uh, if we had bought into Fitbit, we would uh, not be doing well right now. They're not killing it in the stock market. And at that point in time, I was just smart enough to be dangerous. Now, something that took me quite a long time to figure out is that the Bible is quite powerful. The Bible has the power to transform you. The Bible has information and, and uh, power within it that can change us. And not just like in a superficial level, the Bible can actually change our core values. It can change what we fundamentally believe about life and how we act and how we live. And the Bible has the power to do that. But what we have to be careful with is that sometimes we're just smart enough to be dangerous. Sometimes we don't fully understand what is happening and all we, and, and we don't fully read into what's going on, we don't fully understand it, and we're just smart enough to be dangerous with ourselves. Now, for some of you, the Bible being powerful doesn't actually really resonate with you in your life. It doesn't actually, like you hear that, and it's like, oh, I don't really actually truly feel that, or it doesn't really connect with me. And maybe for you, the Bible's just a bunch of stories, or it's just a bunch of words, or, or it's just something that, you know, we have to go to church because my wife says so, or whatever it is, or because my mom says so. Whatever that might be for you, the Bible just doesn't actually feel like it's something that's super powerful. And here's the thing with that, the key to the Bible the key to the Word of God is to understand it. The key to being transformed, to actually experiencing the power of the Word of God is to understand, to truly understand what is being said. See, if you just read the words on a superficial level and that's it, you just, you walk away after just like, okay, well, what does the Bible say? Oh, that's great. You know, uh, you know, God saved me from the pit, whatever. And then that's it and you walk away, then you don't really actually understand it. And you're not really actually going to be transformed by it. You're just going to read the superficial top level stuff and, and just take that and that might just be dangerous enough or you might just be smart enough in that moment to be dangerous. See, understanding the Word of God will transform you. Truly understanding the Word of God will transform you. And that transformation will lead to changing how you interact with and react with reality. Understanding the Word of God will transform you, and that transformation will change how you interact with reality. This is the difference between real, true disciples of Jesus and just lookalikes, right? This is the difference between people who actually are real about this thing, is that the Word of God changes them. They act differently, they live differently, they respond to reality differently. Here's an example of how transformation changed my life. Uh, it's a real-life, raw, visceral example of something that changed me forever. So when I was younger, I went through like a weird pet phase. I was into like, I was quite young, I was into like mice, and then I wanted like a snake and all this stuff. And so my mom was like, she didn't want a snake at home. So she's like, well, why don't we get a bird? And I was like, fine, I wanted a snake. I was like, fine, we'll get a bird. And joke's on her. So my snake would have only lived three years, and when I moved out for college, she still had a bird. So parents out there, uh, you know, check the lifespan of the pets that your kids want, and maybe just be strategic about what you steer them to. But anyways, that's not the point of the story. The point of this story is that I went through a weird phase where I really wanted mice. 
And at this point in time of my life, I was actually pretty young,、uh, and I hadn't—I wasn't really a great critical thinker, and I didn't really fully understand a lot of core concepts like death. So you know, I was like, you know, around maybe twenty,、um, no, probably a little bit younger.、Uh, but at this point in my life, when I had these mice, I still believed. That when animals went to sleep or died, that they went to this wonderful magical place. There's this farm. There's all these other animals, and it's such a great time. And so, what I would do with my mice, I had a couple of them, is I would let them out to go play in the house. And I thought it was really fun. It was like more like I could go chase them and do all this stuff. And then you know sometimes like the dogs would kill them, or sometimes they like get hidden somewhere we couldn't find them, and they turn up dead like a week later. And so, anyways, and then when like one of the mice would turn up dead, or like the dog mauled it or something, be like, oh well, like. Another mouse for the farm. I'm like, let's go get another one. And then, so anyways, my parents kind of got tired of all these dead mice and this mass grave of mice that were forming, and so they decided to tell me about death. And that was great timing because I had a favorite mouse that ended up dying like a week after they told me about death, and that was a trying time for me. This for the first time in my life, I felt the sting of death, and it was really difficult. And so maybe if my parents had just waited a little bit longer, that would have been better for them too. But anyways, I've learned a lot about how I'm going to parent my kids now through all of this. But that was the first time that I learned about death, and that moment, having a change of understanding. Transformed me, and it actually changed how I interacted with reality. See, now when an animal dies, it's like I, I, I like it sucks. I'm sad. There's like a sting of death to that. But before that, it was like, oh well, like let's go get another one. Like whatever. It didn't. It didn't mean as much to me, and it didn't actually change how I reacted to what was going on. So here's the point: I didn't have a proper and true understanding of reality, and it led to a mass grave of mice. But now I understand, and now it changes how I interact with that reality. So understanding led to transformation. Transformation changed how I interacted and responded to life events. When you understand what the Bible is actually saying, it will transform you. It will change how you live your life. If you actually have true transformation, it won't just be like a superficial change of your life. When you actually allow the Word of God to truly transform you, it won't just be like behavior modification, or you're like, "Oh, I'm trying to follow all these rules, or I'm trying to do all these things." It'll actually have a visceral change in the values and the way that you interpret and and react to reality. And then when death and when all these other things come into your life, it'll actually change how you respond to them. And that is the key to being a true disciple of Jesus: is this transformation. So let me show you how Psalm thirty. Can change how you interact with life. Remember verses one to five. That's David's reflection after he goes through all this stuff. He puts his reflection at the beginning. So we skip that. We're going to read that right now. Verse one. He says, "I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, you His faithful people. Praise His holy name for His." 
anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You see, at face value, if we read this, it sounds like pretty great. It'd be like, okay, so like, you know what? There's some bad times, but don't worry. God's got this. Like, don't worry. He won't let your enemies win. He'll heal you. He'll spare you from the pit. He'll give you favor. And if we would just read that at face value and we don't dig any deeper, we don't go into any context or actually try to understand what's really going on here, you could walk away just being smart enough to be dangerous, believing that he won't let your enemies win. He'll heal you. He'll spare you from the pit. He'll give you favor. All these things, you're going to go through some hardships, but don't worry about it. God's got you. He's going to bring you out of it. But this is where understanding kicks in because Psalms was written in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament book, which means it was pre-Jesus. Psalms was written in a time before Jesus had come. And the thing we have to understand about that is that these people back pre-Jesus were Jews. And the Jewish faith, the Jewish people were very theocratic. And theocratic means that they were wanting a, a Jewish nation state. They wanted the kingdom of God to them was a physical, real place. So for them, blessings was kids and winning wars and growing as a nation and becoming a large army and becoming a large kingdom and more land and all these things, all these physical kingdom things. The focus of Old Testament Jews was on a physical, theocratic kingdom. We are not Old Testament Jews. We are New Testament Christians, which means we live in the wake of what Jesus has done. And Jesus came and he kind of changed the game. Romans 14, 17, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of, of the physical world anymore, right? The kingdom of God is a spiritual. It's of the righteousness and peace and joy. It's of the spirit of God. Luke 17, Jesus actually shows us that he's bringing about a new kingdom, an invisible kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that's already in our midst. So for now, uh, so now for us, excuse me, we focus on the spiritual kingdom. We're no, we're no longer reading this, although, although God is still the same, when we read this, we have to understand the context is different because David lived in this world where their focus was on a physical kingdom. There was no Jesus yet. There was no spiritual kingdom that they were at least aware of yet. But nowadays we live in the wake of Jesus. We understand that the focus of God is on building a spiritual kingdom not a physical kingdom. And that's not to say that God's physical blessings are bad or that he doesn't give physical blessings at all. Not to say that at all, but the focus, the priority, the purpose of God's actions are to build the spiritual kingdom, not the physical kingdom. And that's because it is far more important. The spiritual kingdom is far more important, far more rewarding and far more eternal than the physical kingdom. So here's the issue. When we read verses one to five, there's this temptation. There's like a trap there for us. If we're not careful, if we're, if we're just smart enough to be dangerous, there's this trap that we can uh, read it and believe that, oh, you know what? Like, it's going to be okay. He won't let our enemies win. He will, he will heal us. He will spare us from the pit. He will give us favor. And those aren't bad things, and those do happen, but if we just sit there and what we read from this verse is that, you know what, the, the night may be for a little bit, but it won't last forever. And that God's going to come back and he's going to fix whatever's going wrong in your life, whatever that thing that's happening. Don't worry, God's got this. He's going to take care of it. It's going to be resolved. If, that, if we fall into that trap of believing that all of, that, of our trials and challenges are just affronts to our physical kingdom, but God's got this and he's going to take care of it and he's going to fix our physical kingdom all the time, we fall into this trap. And here's the issue. What happens when a piece 
of somebody's physical kingdom becomes permanently destroyed. What happens when a piece of somebody's life is gone and can't be fixed, can't be retrieved? What happens to that parent who watches their kid go through addiction and waste away their life? What happens to that person who's in that car accident and is on the hospital bed being told they're never going to walk again? What happens to the kid who watches his parent get sick and slowly die and he has to bury him way before his time? What do you do with that? How do you reconcile now all of a sudden the situation in your life with these promises in Psalm 30 that you thought were being made to you? See, I picked Psalm 30 because when I was 19 years old, sitting in my dorm room, I had just buried my dad. And I remember sitting there having a reckoning. I remember sitting in my dorm room confronted by the fact that my lack of understanding, that my immature and incomplete faith wasn't going to be enough to keep me comfortable anymore. That I was just living in this little bubble that wasn't real. And I found myself staring up at the sky looking at a God that I didn't actually recognize. Because how could God have done that? I thought, he was, I thought he was supposed to save me from the pit. I thought he was supposed to rescue me from this. My dad's dead, he's not coming back. How could God do this? Who are you? I don't recognize you anymore. And I had a reckoning in that moment with what I believed. And I didn't even realize it because I, I didn't realize that what I believed was that I thought God was, pri I thought God's priority was my physical kingdom, right? I didn't, I didn't like cognizantly think that. I, I didn't realize that what I actually functionally believed was that God was going to help and look out for my kingdom and that his priority in the way that he acts and works and moves is in the interest of the, my physical kingdom. I didn't realize that I actually believed that, but in that moment, I came to realize that that is what I actually believed because I couldn't make sense of what was going on and I couldn't reconcile it to my faith. And so that night I had a reckoning and I remember being at my desk and actually crawling underneath my desk crying and I, and I just pulled open my Bible and I flipped to Psalm 30 by chance and I remember reading it with a little flashlight and I had this Holy Spirit revelation in that moment. And I remember realizing that God might give and he might also take away but his purpose is always for the good of building his spiritual kingdom in us. God might give and he might also take away, but his purpose is always for the good of building the spiritual kingdom, which is far more important, far more rewarding, and far more eternal. This is the, uh, the key verse is verse 12. Why does he give? So that our hearts would learn to sing praises to God. Why does he take away? So that our hearts would learn to sing praises to God. Paul shows us the same principle actually in 2 Corinthians 12. He talks of a thorn in his flesh and that's an expression. We don't know exactly what it was, but some kind of ailment, something was wrong in his life, medical, spiritual, we don't know. We don't know what was going on, but something was wrong and he asked God to take it away multiple times, but God says no. He says, I'm not going to heal you. I'm not going to save you from that pit. Why? Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Why? Because I am sufficient for you and my spiritual kingdom grows and thrives in your heart. 
and my strength is displayed and made all the more powerful through your hardship. God's priority when he moves, when he acts, when he allows things to happen in our life, it's for the purpose of building his spiritual kingdom in our hearts, not for the purpose of building a physical kingdom that we want. See, there's nothing more important and more valuable and more eternally significant than the state of the spiritual kingdom in our heart. And there is nothing more distracting and more deceiving and more enticing than the state of our own physical kingdom. Here's the main point of Psalm 30. The main point here is found in verse 12. It's a three-step point, okay? I couldn't break this down into like a nice little sentence for you. I'm sorry. It's a three-step point. Stay with me for three seconds. Step one, God is building his spiritual kingdom. We've already gone through this, right? God is building a spiritual kingdom. That's step one. Step two, by giving and taking away. Step three, so that our hearts would learn to sing his praises. God is building his spiritual kingdom by giving and taking away so that our hearts would learn to sing his praises. So that our hearts would learn to sing his praises so that God would draw us closer to him. So that we could be in relationship with God, so that we could glorify him with our lives because ultimately that is what our souls desire more than any physical kingdom, more than any earthly reward. We desire to be close to him we are fulfilled when we are in relationship with him. The next part of this isn't very sexy. It doesn't, it doesn't preach well. It doesn't like, I was trying to find ways like, it's not super hard hitting. It's not like theatrical. It's, it's just boring, maybe. I don't know, but it's so important. I sat there and I wrestled with this and I struggled with how I was gonna bring this up because it just doesn't come out well, but I knew I needed to do this. A really strong faith. Listen, listen to this one piece. A really strong faith, a really strong spiritual kingdom in your heart is built on a really strong theology. There's no way around that. A really strong faith, a really strong spiritual kingdom is built on a really strong theology. And theology is, is this this word that sometimes we feel is like complicated, but every single one of you and I and everybody, we all have a theology. We all have a theology, whether you like it or not, whether you even know it or not. A theology really is just what you believe about God, what you believe he thinks and he says and he does and what you believe he thinks about you and says to you and does to you. All of these things, that is your theology. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to have a degree. You have a theology and it is what you believe about God. That night in my dorm room, when I had this realization that God was giving and taking away, not for the sake of my happiness and my physical kingdom, but for the sake of building his spiritual kingdom in my heart. That night when I had that realization, I began picking up the pieces and rebuilding my faith. I began picking up the pieces and rebuilding my faith, but this time it was centered around the theological principle, the theological understanding that God was building his spiritual kingdom in me and that his priority and his purpose was around that spiritual kingdom in my heart, not my priority of my physical kingdom, and that my spirit, that spiritual kingdom in my heart, the state of my heart, was far more valuable, far more rewarding, and far more eternally significant 
than my physical kingdom. And that night when I began rebuilding and picking up those pieces and reassembling my theology, it was a long, slow process. It's taken years and years and years. But let me tell you something. Like, I've been through storms since then. I mean, I think we all have over the last year and a half. I've been through some pretty killer storms. But nothing has shaken me. Nothing has shaken me like that night, like, like the loss of my dad. Now I go through stuff, and yeah, it's not to say it's not tough, it's not to say it's not hard, but it doesn't shake me. I don't get rattled by that. I don't go sit there and have some existential crisis anymore, and God, what are you doing? All of a sudden, now I, I you know what, sometimes like it breaks me down a little bit, but you know when, when I get broken down, you know what I land on? That strong theology that strong base that I'm built on now, that God broke down all these bad things that I believed, all these wrong things, and He showed, and He took all these things away, and he, and he helped me come to realize and build my faith on something that is true. I rest on a bedrock now. I'm not saying that to like boast about it, like it's something, like it's not that cool, it's not that impressive, it's just, it is, just is what it is. And it's so amazing to be able to go through life and to not be shaken. Like, I, like I, I mean, I launched a gym and got pregnant that month in the middle of COVID and, it was, and I have a wedding company and like gyms and wedding companies are not going well and we got a baby on the way and it was, you know, it was tough on Carrie and all this stuff and it was like, it was rough and I was, you know, I'm not saying it was easy and I'm not saying I liked it, but I just sat there and I was like, I'm not shaken. Like, this can't rock me anymore. Like I'm built on a bedrock that's stronger than this. And there's something so freeing and so powerful about that. Here's the application for today. You are one of three people. If you are sitting here listening to what I just said today, you are one of three people. One, you're either in a season in which you've just come out of the valley and things are starting to look up and things are starting to look good. Or two, you are in the middle of the storm, right? You're in the middle of that valley. Things are not good for you right now. Or three, you're not there yet. You're actually, hey, you know what? Things are pretty good. You're kind of coasting along. You know, you're not in the middle of something. You're not coming out of it. You're just in a, in a good place of life things are generally good, right? Okay, so here's the thing. If you're coasting, if things are good here, that, like that's awesome. Praise God, that's wonderful. We should celebrate that. Don't feel guilty about that for a second. Um, but there's something I want you to say. There's a wartime saying, and it goes like this. Good times make weak men, which make for bad times. Weak men make for bad times, and bad times make strong men, and strong men make for good times. All right, so, so there's a bit of a cycle there, right? So, so good times make for weak men, weak men make for bad times, bad times make for strong men, strong men make for good times, and, it's, and it just kind of goes around. Uh, don't be the person who doesn't learn. Don't be the person who, who goes through and allows this opportunity to pass you by because every single day you either have the choice to become weaker or stronger in your faith. Every single day you have the choice to respond to reality, to actually take the word of God that is already accessible in your life and to be changed and transformed by it. Don't let a day go by that you are not transformed, that you do not become stronger in your faith because you will have a season when you go through a valley. You will have a season when you come out of that valley. Those are coming for you and you have the opportunity to prepare for that. If you are going through, if you're in the middle of a storm right now, if you're going through that valley, I wanna encourage you for a moment here. God gives and he takes away, but it's always so that he can build his spiritual kingdom. And that doesn't mean it doesn't suck. And it doesn't mean it's not hard. And it doesn't mean that I'm not sorry that you're going through what you're going through. I get it, I've been there. 
but the eternal spiritual kingdom that is being built in your heart is worth it. It's more rewarding in the long term and it's eternally significant. Finally, if you're coming out of the storm, if you're, if you're on your way out, things are looking good, things are getting better for you, and you're, like, and you're, you're in that place where you praise God, that is amazing. Remember this moment. Write it down. Remember what you were going through. Remember that God is bringing you out of this. Remember the storm that you've gone through that is excellent. Even if the thing doesn't reconcile, but your soul has come out stronger and that you have come out and grown and the spiritual kingdom is thriving in your heart, your faith is growing, that is amazing. Remember it, write down God's faithfulness. Write it on your heart, sketch it in your heart. This is a moment for you to learn. I used to work at Sportcheck and we had these two guys who've been around for a long time, but they're very different. I don't know how both of them have been there at the company for the same amount of time. But it, uh, it was about 10 years that both of them had been working there. And it was pretty obvious that one of them had like 10 years of experience and the other one had like 10 first years of experience, right? Like somebody, like he kept making the same mistakes every year, you know, he didn't really learn from it. And so he didn't have like 10 years of growing and he was like 10 years of just keeping doing it. And so it was like one had 10 years of experience and one had 10 first years of experience. Don't be that person who has to go through the same storm or has to go through multiple storms and keep relearning that lesson. Use this as an opportunity. Grow, remember, and be changed by what you've gone through. Don't waste the opportunity to grow and remember in all circumstances God gives and He takes away so that He can grow His kingdom inside of us. So if you're coasting and things are good, that's awesome. Use this as an opportunity to become stronger. If you're in the middle of the storm, I want to encourage you, hold on tight, hold, place your faith in Jesus. And if you are coming out of the storm, remember this moment, write it on your heart so that you don't have to learn the same lesson 10 times. Have 10 years of experience. Let me pray for you guys as we finish up here. Jesus, I pray for your wisdom and your faith to be imparted on everybody who is listening today. Lord, I pray that you would provide what we need to have provided for us. God, you are good. You work out the good for those who love you. You are working in all these situations for us. And I don't, I don't want to say that, you know, it doesn't get easier just because you're there, just because you're working through it. But Lord, if we can place our focus on the fact that you're building the spiritual kingdom, there's a place for us to place our hope and there's a place for us to place our anticipation and to know that there's good coming out of what we're going through. So Lord, I pray that we'd be stronger people, that we'd be more well prepared for what's coming for us in our life. And I pray that we'd be able to endure the storms and come out more faithful and more sturdy and strong in our faith and our character in you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the message from Psalm 30. I really hope that God has encouraged you, maybe even challenged you, you with something from his word. And as we think about the message we've just heard, I've got three questions to ask you. And if you're with someone, I encourage you to discuss them, to go deep into them. If you're by yourself, maybe just take a moment and reflect on them. The first question is this, am I getting caught up in focusing on my physical kingdom and missing out on seeing how God is building his spiritual kingdom in my circumstances? Question number two, thinking back on my life, have I gone through roller coaster ups and downs? And how did I see God using those times to build his spiritual kingdom? And then the final question, which of the three people am I right now? 
For more information about our church, just to know what's going on, check out our website at southridgefellowship.ca. And have a great week, and we'll see you next time.